For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Nineteen sixty-eight, that terrible year in American politics. Now it's the subject of a new book by Lawrence O'Donnell. We watch him, of course, weeknights on MSNBC on The Last Word. He's also been chief of staff of the Senate Finance Committee, executive producer on The West Wing, and he's also written for The New York Times, The Washington Post, and other publications. His new book is terrific. It's called Playing with Fire the 1968 election, and the transformation of American politics. Lawrence O'Donnell, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Great to be here. So much happened in 1968. The Vietnam War was reaching a peak. There were almost half a million American soldiers fighting in Vietnam. The anti-war movement was reaching a peak. Millions of people were demonstrating in the streets. The Democratic Party was beginning to consider the possibility uh, that the war was a terrible political mistake. So much happened in 68. Please run down for us the key events that culminated in Nixon narrowly defeating the Democratic candidate Hubert Humphrey that November. Well, it's going to sound like a miniseries because it is. <laughs> and uh, and each, each one of the events I'm about to describe would have been the biggest event in any other campaign year. Yes. First of all, uh, a Democratic senator, Eugene McCarthy, comes from out of nowhere and decides to challenge his party's president, Democratic president, Lyndon Johnson, who is heavily favored for re-election. Gene McCarthy decides to go up to New Hampshire and challenge him in the primary. Uh, LBJ's name isn't even on the ballot in the primary because there's not supposed to be a primary. There's a Democratic president. There's no need for Democratic primaries. Uh, McCarthy uh, goes up there, and I was a kid in high school at the time, and I thought he won because that's the sense that the uh, campaign coverage conveyed. And it was literally decades later that I discovered, oh, no, he came in second. But it was such a strong second that it shocked the political world. Uh, days later, Bobby Kennedy jumps into the race. Bobby Kennedy had been thinking about running longer than Gene McCarthy had thought about running. He had 
thought about running, decided not to, thought about it again, decided not to again, and now Bobby Kennedy was jumping in. So now there were two challenges to the establishment Democratic president incumbent, uh, two challenges from the left. Uh, and, and then uh, we go on to see this battle between McCarthy and Kennedy, uh, because LBJ wasn't really actively participating in the primary system, and most states didn't have primaries anyway. Uh, and then uh, Martin Luther King gets assassinated, which stops everything and stops the campaign in its tracks for a while. Rioting breaks out all over the country. Bobby Kennedy has to announce to an audience in Indianapolis that night of the assassination of Martin Luther King what has happened. It's a black audience that came there to cheer Bobby Kennedy, and now they're crying, and one of the places rioting did not happen in the United States that night was the place where Bobby Kennedy personally made the announcement about Martin Luther King's assassination in Indianapolis. Two months later, Bobby Kennedy is assassinated on the night that he wins the California primary and was, it seemed, on his way to go to Chicago to grab the nomination off of the momentum of the California win. He's assassinated, uh, uh, shot, and is lying there on the floor of the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. Uh, Gene McCarthy then becomes terribly disoriented now that Bobby Kennedy is out of the race and has left the race in the worst possible way. He kind of drifts through the summer. Hubert Humphrey, Lyndon Johnson's vice president, after Johnson drops out, decides to try to get the nomination himself. He doesn't run in a single primary, and he still gets the nomination by playing the inside game, what we would now call the superdelegate game, and gets the nomination simply by working the delegates in the hall. Uh, and and you then have rioting outside the Democratic Convention, which a commission that's that's commissioned to study the rioting after the fact calls a police riot. It's saying that the demonstrators uh, would have been peaceful, uh, but the police themselves decided to go into the demonstrators and attack them. You have chaos inside the convention hall with Mayor Daley's security forces inside the convention hall throwing punches at network correspondents like Mike Wallace on the floor of the convention, Dan Rather being knocked to the floor of the convention. Uh, and it all ends with uh, a proven case of collusion. Richard Nixon, the Republican nominee, believed he needed one thing more than anything else to win. He needed that on Election Day, the Vietnam War be going and going badly. And so he colluded with the South Vietnamese government, communicated directly, indirectly, I should say, through emissaries uh, to the South Vietnamese government to not make any kind of peace moves at all, uh, because hang on, Nixon will get a better deal for you than you will get with LBJ. And so the South Vietnamese government agreed to go to Paris to join the peace talks uh, about a week before the uh, election day, and Nixon intervened with them uh, secretly and got them to change their minds, and that South Vietnam tells President Johnson, we're not going to go to Paris. Uh, Johnson discovers this. He discovers through the CIA uh, and through FBI wiretaps exactly what uh, Richard Nixon is up to. LBJ calls it treason when he sees 
what Nixon has been doing, and he threatens to make it public. He tells a Republican senator he just might make it public, tell the New York Times or the Washington Post what Richard Nixon has done. Why didn't LBJ reveal what Nixon had done, or why didn't Hubert Humphrey? Why did they let him become president after Nixon committed what you call the worst crime in American political history? Lyndon Johnson's own advisors, Defense Secretary, Secretary of State, tell him he can't do that because he would reveal their intelligence-gathering methods in Washington, D.C., at the embassies and other things that he would have to reveal in the process, and people might might not believe him. They might just think this is a last-minute political attack. Yeah. And uh, so Johnson goes through the anguish of that presidential decision and decides to keep it secret, and Nixon wins by less than 1% of the vote. You have uh, compared Trump today with Vietnam in 1968, and you said Trump is our Vietnam. You even said that it's bad today, but it was worse in 1968. Could you explain that? Well, it's actually, uh, it was a 22-year-old student who said to me that uh, Trump is our Vietnam. After I was explaining, after the election, the day after the election, I was talking to some young college students, and they were saying this is how horrible this was, how horrible it felt to them. Um, And I said, I tried to explain that it was worse in 1968. And they couldn't really comprehend that because they didn't live through it, and they haven't experienced the draft, and they don't know what it's like for their boyfriend to be shipped off to Vietnam and killed, or their brother, or to have, or to be drafted themselves and sent into combat. So, so they couldn't connect with it. But they heard what I was saying, and and some of them said back to me, "Well, this is our Vietnam," and I think they're right in the sense that they felt completely alienated from government. They felt politics completely failed them in every conceivable way to deliver this horrible outcome uh, in this election. That's, and, and, and spiritually, uh, that what they feel inside is, is similar to what we felt inside in 1968, a kind of hopelessness, uh, and yet at the same time, a need to be heard and to protest. And so I think in that sense, this is uh, the the deepest, most personally felt alienation from government and protest of government uh, since uh, the Vietnam War. Well, I remember 1968 vividly, too. I was a student. I was an SDS member. I remember what you describe as hopelessness when Nixon was elected. You know, we had worked so hard. We were so exhausted. It was such a despairing situation because now the Vietnam War was not going to end. Tens of thousands more Americans would get killed. Maybe a million Vietnamese were going to get killed. But you conclude that from the perspective of just six years later, this is a quote from your book, the peace movement won. I mean, looking at our sense of despair and hopelessness at the end of 1968, what do you mean the peace movement won? Well, we have to understand the dimensions of of the game, if we if we're going to call it that, when we're dealing with politics. And people often make this mistake of thinking it's it's won or lost uh, in the election, or it's won or lost in one year, and it isn't. Uh, and I worked for Senator Moynihan. Uh, we one time had a, a member of the new cabinet who was being confirmed, and um, we had the sense that that uh, this guy would would work 
in government for two years and then leave. And, and Senator Moynihan said to him, well, you know, there's no sense getting involved in this if you're not going to spend 30 years with it. Wow. And, and that's, that's how you define crusades in politics and government. And so, no, the peace movement didn't win in 1968. But uh, the Vietnam War ended when it ended, and the draft ended when it ended, because Eugene McCarthy decided to run for president in 1968 and give the peace movement a spot on the presidential ballot for the very first time. And if he had not decided to do that, we would not have had our first peace candidate running for president until 1972, until four years later. So does that mean the Vietnam War would have lasted four years longer than it did? Does that mean that the draft would have lasted four years longer than it did? And I I would submit to you, it definitely means it would have lasted longer. We have no idea how much longer. But because Gene McCarthy uh, gave the peace movement its its ballot initiative, as it were, in 1968, uh, it, it started the clock ticking on the end of the Vietnam War. And if he waited another four years, if that didn't happen for another four years, we probably would have had another four years of uh, death and destruction in Vietnam and another and tens of thousands more American soldiers uh, killed in Vietnam <laughs> and possibly hundreds of thousands more Vietnamese killed. Last question, one personal note. Where were you in 1968? Did you end up getting drafted? Did you go to Vietnam? No, I was a, I was in high school in 1968 watching all of this uh, on TV uh, as the political coverage covered it. I then got a draft notice in 1972, and at the end of 1972, I uh, had my physical uh, and then in, I had my physical in January of 1973, and usually after you pass the physical, as I did, about two weeks later you get something in the mail telling you where to report for duty. And I passed the physical, and a week after I passed the physical on January 27th, 1973, uh, President Nixon en- <clears throat> ended the draft. I should say he was forced to end the draft. And so he, everyone who I stood with that day at the induction center in South Boston uh, getting the physicals, none of those young men were drafted and went to Vietnam because the draft ended for us. And so they all have children, and many of them have children and grandchildren who are alive today uh, who have no idea that they owe their lives to the peace movement that ended the draft uh, in January of 1973 instead of January of 1974 or 75 or 76. The book is Playing with Fire, the 1968 Election and the Transformation of American Politics. The author is Lawrence O'Donnell. Thank you for this terrific book, and thanks for talking with us today. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.